The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Amen. 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 Well, you know, as Blair said, uh, you guys are, whether you know it or not, an encouragement to lots of other churches. And, uh, you know, you will be a very much a blessing to our church because I'm watching, you know, from one year behind Blair and I joke about our budget because uh, I was working on that this week. But I, there's lots of other things. You know, I'm coming in asking Blair, Blair, how do you do this? And why do you do this? And, you know, you guys are modeling something for my church. And in my church, whether you meet anybody that ever goes there or not, we'll learn a lot from what you guys are doing. And uh, that will continue to be the case, you know, as you guys continue to plant, plant more churches. And right now you feel like you're young and just starting, but you're also setting a foundation for a lot of other churches. And so just, you know, continue to be encouraged by that. But when Blair asked me to preach, I was really excited. Uh, I was on staff at a church in Rockford, Illinois. Um, and every year, one of the mess I preached a couple times throughout the year on a Sunday morning, and I would always do one of the Advent Sundays. So we always did Advent. We do the four, you know, the four Advent Sunday mornings, and I would always get one of those. And this was like the first year where I hadn't preached a Christmas message in about five years. And I was like, oh man. And then Blair asked me to preach a Christmas message. I was like, yes, because I love Christmas. And it was always a joke that uh, my Christmas lights were up before Thanksgiving and most people moaned about it. And I told them that they needed to meet the Lord and learn that it was good to celebrate Christmas early. And, um, but I, I love Christmas and them. Um, you know, something that Texas does well is Christmas. Did you know that? Like, when you go to other southern states, um, they don't do Christmas very well. Like, they don't, you know, they don't put out Christmas lights. And I think it's because they don't have snow. I don't know why that has, but I think that's it. But just Texas does it well. When we lived here, I lived in Mesquite, Texas for four years. And I still remember there was a community uh, uh, about neighborhood, about six blocks over from our neighborhood that always just like every house just had a ridiculous amount of lights. And, you know, there would be cars coming from all over the place. They come drive through this little town or little community or neighborhood to see all of this. And even last night, I was kind of joking with Blair uh, as we were driving into his neighborhood that uh, Texas was doing Christmas better than Illinois. And don't tell anybody from Illinois, but they do Christmas terrible. Okay, but uh, you know, and, and that's like that's like I, that's like yes, I love this because I love Christmas and I love and so when I go back, I saw I was like it's still here, it's good. But Texas is a, a big storyline in my life. Um, you know, I, my dad went to seminary here. I did four years here, and uh, you know, when you look at your life, there are a lot of different storylines. You know, there's a storyline of when you're in junior high, that's, I was here, you know, a lot of times you have your, your college storyline and you look at all the different impacts and things that happen in there. You know, when you look at your life now, there are a lot of different things that develop your storyline, some things that are important and that go a long way, and there's some things that look like they're really important and drastic, and when you get to tomorrow, they really don't make uh, that much of a deal. But there are a lot of different things that impact our story. And each of us have a story. But this morning, you can start open up to Luke 1. We're going to talk about the greatest story ever. The greatest story ever told. And you know, the greatest storyline of all time is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die in our place and to raise again from the dead so that we have a hope of all eternity. But how do we know it's the greatest storyline? How do we know? Well, when you look at any good story, whether it's good or bad, but any story that makes any impact, the 
story or event that impacts the most people for the longest amount of time always becomes the story that everybody hears about. You know, you think about some of the current events, you know, right now, North Korea is a big deal. Why is that a big deal? It's impacting a lot of people, and it's been going on for a long time. You know, in the, and when you look at different current events and the stories that are making bigger impacts, it's these ones that impact more people for long periods. But when you look at the story of Jesus, it's the greatest story ever because it impacts all people for all eternity. This needs to be the greatest story in our life. You know, a lot of times we, oh God, we know that. I've grown up in a church since I was like two and a half and you know, that we've been told that and yes, Jesus is the greatest story in our life, but is he really? Is he really? A lot of times, um, you know, we claim it and we say it and we act like it, but uh, because of different events and different things going on in our life and things that we've let seep in and things that we've let take over, uh, it becomes sometimes stale, sometimes non-existent. And when we get to Luke 1, that's exactly what was happening. Luke 1 is right at the beginning of the New Testament. There had been a 400-year period of time where God had not spoken to his people. You know, he had sent prophets and priests and kings, and he had spoken to his people through many different ways, and he had, you know, a lot of different books written in the Old Testament, but then there was a 400-year period of nothing where they were getting pretty dry. And, and, and they were wondering, and the, the, the priests were trying to figure out on their own, and they weren't doing a great job of it. And we get to this time where this angel shows up and talks to Mary and tells Mary that this really is the greatest story ever told. And what he's doing is he's stoking that fire. He's getting that fire burning again. The story that was told long ago from the very beginning in Genesis 3 is still the most important story, and here's why. So we're going to open up to Luke 1, and we're going to read about the birth of Jesus foretold. And we're going to start in verse 26, and you can follow along. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, the, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your, rela- or your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from here. So here's the story that's happening, okay? Uh, this story is uh, directly connected uh, to the story before it. And so if you read back, you can go home today or tomorrow and kind of read the story you know, of, uh, of the angel Gabriel when he goes um, to the relatives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and he's talking about uh, John the Baptist. But this is, these two stories connect, and kind of the John the Baptist story is a foretelling uh, of, of the next story that's coming, that's Jesus. And then this story kind of mimics that, but he goes on, he kind of gives us a couple people, okay? So you gotta know the people, the players of the story. The first is the angel Gabriel, which is one of God's greatest messengers. You have Joseph, who's briefly talked about, he's betrothed to Mary, and at that time a betrothal um, was, you know, you were basically married, just not living together yet. And then you have Mary, who was a virgin. She was somewhere between you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, I'm guessing probably right around 14 years old. And then you have Jesus. Uh, He's foretold. This is kind of a story about him. And you have this encounter where Gabriel comes down. And again, you got to remember, there'd been a 400 years of silence. And she probably hadn't quite heard yet that the angel Gabriel had come to, she may have, but, um, but most likely had not quite heard that the angel Gabriel had come to her, her cousin Elizabeth. And so there had just been years and years and years and years and years and generations of, of silence, of nothing. And then all of this sudden, God's angel, God's great angel Gabriel shows up to Mary of all people. Now, at that time, you know, we talk about equality of our time and, and gender equality and things like that. In that time, it was far worse, okay? Uh, I, you know, the authority that God sent did not go through women, at least culturally. It's kind of ironic that the angel shows up to Mary and not Joseph. And God was, you know, showing that he does value all people. And, you know, he calls her, oh, favored one. Now, this is nothing that Mary did. This is God specifically saying, I am going to put my favor on you. And what is coming is God's favor. And you know, she's kind of scared out of her mind. A lot of times we read this story, you know, we've read it a bunch of times since we've been little or, you know, we kind of getting used to this story. Yeah, we know Angel Gabriel shows up every Christmas. My dad would get out the Bible. We'd read this story and whatever. But just imagine this for a second. Okay, you're 14 years old, you're about to get married, you're hanging out in your house, and an angel shows up. Like, you know, not just any angel, but the bright angel Gabriel. Now, the angels are warriors. These are not like wimpy little something, you know, like, do you guys have those like little decorations of like the, the precious, one of those precious moments or whatever? Like anytime my kids get one of those, I want to throw it through the window because I'm like, that's not an angel. 
Okay, that's, 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 that's stupid is what that is. So if you like those, uh, my apologies. They're very beautiful. They're just not a representation of the angels in the Bible. Um, but, and yeah, they're really good decorations. They really are. But when we talk about an angel, you got to understand what's going on in this story. This was a warrior of light that showed up in Mary's room. And this is a moment when God had not shown up for 400 years and then it's there. Okay, you want to talk about stoking a fire? That's exactly what's happening. The angel Gabriel shows up and he says, listen, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming to you, Mary. You are going to bear him. And then Mary kind of works through her fear and then she starts to think about logistics. I'm a virgin and I'm going to have a child. How, you know, how, how does this work? And, and so the angel kind of works through that and tells her the Holy Spirit is going to conceive this child. And he's going to put this child in your womb and he's going to be called God's son. He's going to be the Holy One. But you see, when you look at this story, okay, this story is really meant to stoke that fire and to help Mary and to help us understand the fact that God is coming is a big story. It is the biggest story. And a lot of times we hear the story so often, time and time and time and time again, that it becomes not as big of a deal to us. And we need to take times like this where we take a week or two before Christmas where we're not just doing the normal Christmas things, but we're really taking time to stoke that fire to make sure that this really is the greatest story. Because what the angel tells us that Jesus is going to be is really important. And it really does stoke that fire. So the first point this morning is that God's son really is coming. God's son, look at that verse. In verse 32, he says, and he will be great. He will be great. Now, I told you this story uh, kind of goes along with the story of John the Baptist. If you look back in verse 15, it says of John the Baptist that he will be great before the Lord. Okay, there's a, a descriptor there of where that greatness comes from. It's going to come from God. God is going to give him the greatness. But Jesus is going to be great on his own accord because Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. He is the very descendant of God the Father. There's no other need for him to be described as great other than the fact that he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. God's very son is coming. You know, in our, in our world today, you know, when there's bigger issues or things that need to be taken care of of higher importance, if you're a, a delegate to the, the things that are of higher importance, you send the higher authority. Okay, I don't know where you guys stand on President Trump. Uh, I openly mock and embrace all presidents. Um, but President Trump, if he has this, a bigger issue or he has a, you know, a higher importance, the higher the importance, the higher they send. You know? So when Mike Pence goes out, when Vice President Pence goes out, it's because that's a big issue. You know? And the higher authority that we send, typically that's because it's of more importance. You know, and up to this point in God's word, he sent the prophets, he sent the priests, he sent the kings. 
And then Mary is in her room and finally God sends his angel, one of the most powerful, greatest beings, but he's just there to be a messenger to say God is coming in the form of his son. There's not a more important message that's on its way because there's nobody higher for God to send. God's son is coming to walk among us. You know, and a lot of times, uh, again, we, we, yeah, God came and Emmanuel, we were singing up on the screen, Emmanuel. You, you know, actually, you don't want me to sing out loud. That normally wrecks people's ears. But, um, you know, we sing about it. We know what God came, God's son came. But again, so we forget the importance of this so often. Okay, God didn't just create us and leave us. God didn't just create us and say hands off. God said, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be among you intimately. My son is coming. God loves us. We are so important to God that he sends the greatest thing that he can, his son, to do the hardest job of all time, and that was to save us. You see, when the angel said this, he said, God is coming. God's very son is coming. And when the angel says that, that should immediately start to set off flags. Hey, this, this is a big deal. God's son is coming. But then he goes on. And he shows it's not as God's son coming, but he is the fulfillment of the greatest promise ever. He is the fulfillment of the greatest promise ever. Ever. Keep looking at verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will give to him the throne of his father David. You see what, what the angel Gabriel is doing is he's pointing back to 2 Samuel 7 12 through 14, where you know God prophesies that David's kingdom will reign forever, that he will always have a king on the throne. And what that prophecy was in 2 Samuel that we see kind of throughout the Old Testament is the prophecy that God is going to send a king and a savior. You know, at the time in the Old Testament, the kings were their saviors. Okay, when there was a good king in the Old Testament, what happened to the nation? It thrived. When there was a bad king in the Old Testament, what happened to the nation? It demolished itself. And, you know, when, it, when there was a king, a king protected its people from their enemies. It, you know, a king made the kingdom flourish and kept them from poverty. You know, a king would keep them, um, would, would, you know, when a good king did a good job, that kingdom meant something. It gave them a purpose to exist. And so when, uh, in 2 Samuel, when it was prophesied that, God, or that David would have a king on the throne forever, it was prophesying about an eternal king and savior that would make God's people valuable and protected for all eternity. It was prophesying Jesus. And it was prophesying a perfect kingdom in heaven. And, and the angel Gabriel is saying, hey, this, this guy, Jesus, God's son that's coming, he's gonna fulfill that. 
those promises that we've been waiting for for thousands of years, that's going to come true. Okay, and this is something that the Jews had passed down and they would tell, hey, remember that story that David would tell us and remember this and they would quote it and read it to their kids and they had different traditions that they would do to remember and it would be time and time again and they had been waiting for over 1,500 years for this to really take place. And he says, it's coming. It's coming. He is the fulfillment of the greatest promise ever. They were waiting for their Savior King, and just like Israel was waiting for their Savior King, you and I are looking for our Savior King all the time. We want to matter, we want to be saved, just like the nation of Israel did. Sometimes we want to be saved from boredom. Sometimes we want to be saved from meaninglessness. Sometimes we want to be saved from ourselves. We do all of these things to try to find functional saviors. They find a, find a functional king. Sometimes we find it in sports. Sometimes we find it in the dumb Netflix TV set or shows that we watch. I'm right there. I've, you know, I put myself in that category. You know, sometimes we find it from the jobs that we have. You know, we, we find the fulfillment of who we are, what makes us us, what gives us the assurance that we need because of the check that we bring in, because of the importance that we have at our job. Sometimes we find in our families. Families are good. I have a big one. But we find our, this is, you know, I, I'm Jesse, I have four kids, I have a wife, I have this, I have that. And our assurance comes from that. But what the angel Gabriel is saying is in the end, the greatest assurance is coming from Jesus who's going to, take that place as the greatest king and greatest savior of all time. You see, God promised a savior right from Genesis 3, right from the moment where Adam and Eve sinned and the first interaction that God had with him afterwards, he prophesied this and it had been prophesied from that moment on all the way up until he stopped prophesying and then 400 years later, here's the angel showing up saying, hey, this is it. He is the fulfillment of the greatest promise ever. But then lastly, he's also the assurance of the greatest promise ever. The angel Gabriel continues and he says in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will be no end. Gabriel continues to point back to times of, in Israel, he points back to the house of Jacob where there again was a promise of an, e, an eternal reign and a promise of something that was hoped for, not just for in the immediate, but also for the future. Every promise that God gave was, also, was a promise for uh, that time, but also a promise for the future. And when the angel Gabriel says, and relates Jesus to the house of Jacob, he's saying that the hope that God had originally promised, Jesus is going to continue to fulfill for all eternity. Because here's the thing, he's saying, you know, he uses the family for a very specific purpose because you look at the family 
Okay, and there was generation after generation after generation. And then you had, you know, you can read through the genealogies in, and see those go back. And from one, you know, there was actually, you know, three separate areas of genealogies. And you can go back and study it and see how God solely fulfilled the promises he made to Jacob through this generation. And we see some promise filled through, you know, the line of David through that family. And you, and you can kind of, it's, really, it's a really cool story. If you ever want to do a fun study, you can follow through all of these genealogies. But what happens is there always had to be another one. Something always happened, and then this didn't work out, so then we had to have somebody come in, and then this, and then this, and then this, and it was always waiting for something more, something more. And when the angel Gabriel comes, he says, it stops here. This is it. Everything that you had been waiting for, the hope for all eternity, is going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This is not something that's going to need more. Jesus is the hope for the future. And he's saying that the kingdom will not need another. And you're like, well, how, you know, how, how, how do we know this? Okay, well, just think about Mary. Okay, she asked a very logical question. How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I've known no man? And so the angel Gabriel tells her, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you're gonna receive a child. And just think about Mary and put yourself in her shoes. You know, when she starts to realize she's pregnant and, uh, you know, her and Joseph start to figure out that this is gonna be a legit thing. And then they, you know, we, you know, the story that we always read Luke chapter two, where, you know, Jesus is finally born and uh, your mind would just be blown. Like a virgin birth actually happening? Are you serious? You know, you put yourself in Mary's shoes and she would never doubt again. You know, this story is not a normal story. And we look at the story of Jesus, it never was. It was always miraculous. It was always outside of what we understood. Why? Because he is eternal. Because he is all-powerful. He is God. And he is showing from the very beginnings of his birth that he is the one whose kingdom will never end. From the very moment of his conception, it was supernatural. And that is, you know, God uses that to show us that his kingdom is going to be supernatural. And so when we say that he is the fulfillment of the greatest, or he's the assurance of the greatest promise ever, it's that supernatural that we see in every story of Jesus. And the angel even goes on, he says, but it's not only you. But it's also your cousin Elizabeth. Okay, she was barren. She was old. She couldn't have any more kids. And she's six months pregnant. That's the power of God. And God uses that power and that supernatural to prove that he is the assurance of the greatest promise ever. But why is this important? Why is this important? You know, yet again, we get our assurance for the hope for the future from so many stupid things. Uh, you know, I, 
I'm really hoping that the Packers win this game against Carolina so that they can actually have a chance to make the playoffs. I'm actually like, you know, we're talking to Blair, trying to figure out a place where we can watch this stupid football game. Why? Because I want a, a hope and insurance of a future. Now, we, we make our Christmas traditions in a lot of different ways that we put together because we want that perfect Christmas with our kids, with our parents, we, with our friends. We do, we do all of these things because we have a hope of something that's going to be really special and really great. You know, we go to school because we want the hope and assurance of a good job. We we build our careers in a very specific way because we're wanting this hope and assurance. And none of those things are bad as long as they don't become the most important story. None of those things are wrong as long as we keep the right thing, the right thing, and the right story, the right story. And when you look at your life and you start to think about your stories and the stories that affect you and different ways and the stories that make up your grander story is the story of Jesus's assurance really one of the greatest aspects of your story is the hope of his promises really making a difference in your life because here's the thing what you let become the greatest story of your life will consume your time, will consume your energy, will consume your resources, it'll consume your conversation. And if we really want to be about Jesus, if Jesus really is coming, that needs to be the greatest story in our life. So that's the story that we're proclaiming time and time and time again. You know, I have this conversation with people all the time and you know, Jesse, I just, I don't know how to make this a big deal. I don't know how to make this the greatest story, but we do it all the time. You know, um, again, I'm a, I'm a uh, I was talking about stupid football, I'm gonna talk about stupid football again. I've always said a good, a good sermon has to have a football analogy in it. I don't know if that's true, but I say it. Um, but I'm a pretty big Badgers fan. Okay, I like college football. You know, Texas is a pretty big college football. I, you know what, high school football blows my mind in Texas. The stadiums here for high school football is just crazy. But, you know, I'm a pretty big college football fan and, and the Badgers just played the Big Ten Championship. Okay, it was like their year they had gone you know, 11-0, they hadn't been beaten. This is like their one opportunity to really make the playoffs and I was all excited and, you know, there was a week between the Big Ten Championship game and last game and like, you know, and, and I made sure that this was a big deal. You know, every opportunity I would get, I would read an article and, you know, I would talk about it. I'd text conversations with friends or with my brothers or, you know, when I, when the time came out that it was at seven o'clock central time on Saturday night, I blocked that time out and made sure that there was nothing else going on and we're currently homeless right now, so I'm all over the place. So I made sure I was at a home that had it and, you know, I, I was doing all of these things and the moment that that story became less important, Twitter reminded me that it was still important. Okay, and if you looked at my life during that week, it would not have been hard to see what was one of the greatest stories of my life. We don't work hard at making sure the things that are important to us become the greatest story during that time. We know how to do this. We do it in all areas of our life. The things that really are important, we make important. And the angel Gabriel is here to tell us and he's reminding Mary and in turn us that this really is the greatest story of all time and we need to do the work to stoke that flame. 
You need to take time and assess your life. What is the greatest stories of my life right now? And what is taking the place of that greatest story? Because Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And that has to be the greatest story of our life. So this week, as you're getting ready for Christmas, you're getting ready for all of your family traditions, grandpa and grandma are coming over, you're traveling, hopefully your Christmas tree's out and your lights have been out since November 14th. If they're not, I have a theology and philosophy that can change that, so next year it will happen. But as you get ready for all of these things, and as you're preparing and getting these traditions and hearing the same story of Jesus that you hear every year, year in and year out, don't let it just be this wimpy, puny flame because it's not. It's the greatest story of all time and look, work hard at your life. How do I need to stoke this? Make sure when you're having conversations about Christmas in line at Walmart, or what's that, that story you told me about that has like the 60 gas station pumps? Bucky's, thank you. Yeah, Bucky's, you know, you're in line at Bucky's trying to check out and you're talking about, you know, all the things you're doing for Christmas with the person in front of you. Make sure you work Jesus into that story. You know, when you're inviting people to different things, make sure you're inviting people to the Christmas Eve service that you're gonna have. As you're talking about Christmas traditions, make sure that you are taking time to pray, God, make your story the biggest story. And as I celebrate this and I'm singing these songs, make sure that they really are the biggest story and make sure that these are stirring in your heart so that when you get to Christmas and Christ really is coming, you're telling the greatest story of all time. The band's gonna come back up and we're singing one more song. Here we go, one more song. As we're singing that song, just take some time to really reflect. What is the story of right now? What traditions am I letting take place? What things am I letting get in the way? And what do I need to change to make this the biggest story? I know I've heard this story a thousand times, but I need to stoke it again because God's son really is coming. He really is the fulfillment of the greatest promise ever. And he really is the assurance of the greatest promise ever. Is that true in my life? And God, we come before you uh, this morning. And God, we thank you for a time like Christmas where we can celebrate the birth of your son. And God, the very time that you